passage is being read from Genesis 12, verses 1 to 9. Then the Lord told Abram, Leave your country, your relatives, and your father's house, and go to the land that I will show you. I will cause you to become the father of a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and I will make you a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people who had joined his household. And finally arrived in Canaan. Traveling through Canaan, they came to a place near Shechem and set up camp beside the oak at Moray. At that time, the area was inhabited by the Canaanites. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I'm going to give you this land to your offspring. And Abram built an altar there to commemorate the Lord's visit. After that, Abram traveled southward and set up camp in the hill country between Bethel and on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar and worshipped the Lord. Then Abram traveled south by stages toward the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Aubrey. It's like a voice made for radio, isn't it? I love at this moment when the grade fives, six, and sevens are dismissed. They just bolt, and I bet that secretly there's a few of you that are wishing you could go with them. Um, <clears throat> I've had better weeks. Uh, not that it was a horrible week. It was a full week. It was a good week in many respects, but it was a hard week. Uh, a week ago, uh, Sunday, Tina and I were getting reports from her home uh, in Cleveland, or where her family still lives, and uh, her brother, about two weeks previous to that, had had gallbladder surgery, which seemed like it would be routine, and he, uh, um, the surgery itself triggered an autoimmune disease that he has, and uh, things just went downhill from there. And uh, so, you know, you're standing, you're sitting there on Sunday, and you're talking back and forth, and you're debating: should we go? Should you go? Should uh, should I stay? When should I go? How long should I stay? And all of these questions are kind of swirling around and in the end just said you know what you need to go and so Monday afternoon Tina flew out to get to Cleveland pretty much takes most of the day and so she got there late at night and early Tuesday morning when they arrived at the hospital during the night they had uh, put her brother John on a ventilator and put him in intensive care and so this whole last week Tina's been uh, visiting her brother in intensive care uh, in a hospital there in Cleveland. Her family's there. Her dad's came up from Florida. And uh, um, so, you know, just processing that in the background and life continues to go on. And, uh, and so, you know, your heart and your mind is thinking about your wife and family in uh, a, a, uh, an area about 2,700 kilometers away because I did find my iPhone, so I knew where she was at all times. And... Um, and then you have kids here and life here and ministry here and you're just balancing all of this stuff. And in the midst of it, God just provides grace and, and it's always enough. And it's just quite an incredible 
uh, process. So you can pray for John. Uh, the word this morning was very encouraging in that they'll probably take him off a ventilator today. Uh, a couple days ago, the doctor's words were, he's inching along. And so there's, there's some progress, but it's just so slow. And uh, it's just very painful to watch. Um, but we're trusting God for a complete uh, healing and recovery for John. So you can pray for him as, as he brought, is brought to mind. And so one day uh, this week, I was driving both of our, our kids to school, and um, I was kind of laying out the week for them, and I had said that I was, I was going to be speaking this morning. And so Anna asked what I was going to be speaking about, and I simply said, well, Abraham. I mean, um, just seems like a logical go-to person when we're talking about against all odds and about God-sized dreams and about being obedient and about stepping out in faith. He's just kind of the poster child for that. He was obedient. And I go, yeah, I guess there were those times where he was disobedient, and that kind of caused him some grief and some pain as well. But, but largely his life was defined by obedience. And so Anna just kind of says, hmm, obedient and disobedient. Kind of like me. Now, I, I know she was kidding. At least I think she was kidding. Probably should have followed up on that. <clears throat> but, you know, in a sense, that kind of describes all of us to some extent, doesn't it? Hopefully the, the dominant trajectory of our life is obedience, but we always have some moments of disobedience where, you know, we know the things that we shouldn't do and we do it, and the things that we should do, we don't do, and, and it's just, it can be hard sometimes. Eugene Peterson writes a great book about the process of discipleship, and he talks about the process of discipleship in an instant society, and his title of his book is A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And uh, that's a great summary of the Christian life. It's just a long obedience in the same direction. Uh, So we're just starting this new series of messages called Against All Odds, Pursuing God-Sized Goals. And Pastor Ken started this series last Sunday where he helped us to discover how to make the most of every opportunity. And I'm just going to outline those for you again because I think they're just worth repeating and they really lead into um, the message this morning. I won't say much about them other than to state them, but he said, opportunities may not give us advance notice. They suddenly are in front of us. We just never know when God's going to give us an opportunity and we need to respond in obedience and step out. Opportunities call for us to understand God's heart. What is God saying in this? Opportunities are usually met with resistance. They're not always easy when we step out and follow God. And then wisdom is required for the new opportunities that present themselves to us. And so to follow through on those opportunities, it requires obedience. And that is what I want to talk about today. Because Abraham really is an illustration of a person who made the most of the opportunities that God presented to him. I have to admit, I, I... I don't know if I should say this, but I feel like I have this little man crush on Abraham. Um, Maybe that's completely inappropriate. I don't know. But Abraham is just kind of this hero of the faith that's always my go-to. I mean, sure, there's Joseph and Daniel and and some, some of the other great Old Testament characters. But I always come back to Abraham. And in fact, I would say that whenever God has called us, that is, Um, Tina and myself or our family to step out in faith, to move out of a comfort zone. He seems to have always used the life of Abraham to speak to us and to confirm some of the next steps for our lives. And I'll share uh, one of those in in a moment. But this morning, just really one big heading that I want us to, to think about, and it's simply this, just go and I will show. Just think of that phrase, go and I will show. 
And I want to begin with the passage that Aubrey read for us, Genesis 12, 1 to 9. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to, to turn there, or maybe you have it on your, on your smartphone. Um, you know, sp- smartphones have changed everything. This is just kind of an aside, kind of bonus material. But I remember uh, attending a church in the, in the late 80s, and I always thought it was so cool because at the, at the front of the platform where the pastor sat, right up here, staring out at everybody, um, he had like a phone, and it was like the bat line, and he could pick that up at any time, and it was like a direct connect, I think, to the sound booth, or maybe to like the head usher, and there's like, you know, trouble in aisle six, or whatever, and, and, um, and, and you just didn't really know what was going on, and, and, you know, honestly, I'm not checking sports score or my fantasy team or anything when you see me on my phone. This morning, I was texting back and forth with the sound booth a little bit, just to kind of make sure that we had covered some bases, um, but anyways... They've changed the way we do pretty much everything. Uh, So this passage in Genesis 12, verses 1 to 9, is about the call of Abram, um, which was his name at this time. And Abram, just in and of itself, just means exalted father. And uh, then in Genesis chapter 17, God kind of reconfirms the covenant that he makes with Abraham, and he changes his name to Abraham, which meant a father of a multitude or father of many. And Sarai, his wife, also has a name change, and it goes to Sarah, because Sarai means my princess, so sort of singular, and Sarah just simply means princess, as in princess of a nation. And so the reason God changed their names will become clear in just a few moments. But in verse 1, we simply read, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. So the Lord says to Abram, leave all that you're familiar with, all that you're comfortable with, and abandon all of the normal sources of personal identity and security. All of the personal support systems that you have in place, they are going to be removed. And he's being asked to make a very decisive separation from his past. Now look closely at what he's being asked to leave behind and just think with me along these lines. He's asked to leave behind, first of all, his country. So all that he knew and was familiar and comfortable with. Abram and his family was from the city of Ur, which was near the the Persian Gulf. This is where he grew up. And and this was his hometown. The, The Tigris and the Euphrates rivers both flowed by and ultimately into the Persian Gulf. And in ancient times, it was a vibrant port city. It was lush and it was attractive. It had everything going for it. Why would you want to leave such a comfortable and beautiful place? But that's what he was being asked. Secondly, he's being asked to leave his people. So his family likely went back generations in that land. And he was deeply rooted in the culture there. And he was being asked to leave the only culture that he knew. And he was going to be transplanted into another culture. His culture was where he knew acceptance and prosperity and security. It truly was his comfort zone. And God was asking him to leave it all behind. And thirdly, he's asked to leave his father's family or his household, his immediate relatives. So this might have been brothers and sisters and uncles and aunts and nephews and nieces and grandfathers and grandmothers. I mean, his family went back generations And even his wife, Sarai, she too, her family was also from the same city. And so they had deep, deep roots there. And now God calls them to leave the only life he has known and head for a destination 
that is unknown. Hebrews 11.8 gives us insight into Abraham when it says this, It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. In other words, God said, get up and go. And Abram got up and went. And he went without knowing where he was going. This is so like many of your stories. And one of the things that I value so much is getting to know the stories of your journeys. And they're so fascinating. And sometimes we have opportunity to share brunch together. And I I hear the stories of how you came to Canada or how you landed in Edmonton. And they really are some incredible stories. We have people from all over the world, from so many different nations that, that attend TCC. And many of you know this because you've experienced this. You've left your cultures. You've, you've left your families and your extended families. And sometimes it's just with a clear sense of God's leading to the next thing. And sometimes it's just with a vision of a better life. And you can identify with Abram this morning. Now, while I'm thinking about this subject of where you're from, can I ask you for a huge favor this morning? And maybe if you're not comfortable doing this, that's totally fine. But if you are, at the close of the service, we always pass a friendship book. And would you mind, if you're not from Canada, would you just put your birth nation in there? I'd love to just be able to to connect um, those things. I know many of the stories, but, uh, but I would love to have as many as we can, just to know exactly where they're from. That's just be so helpful and so encouraging to us. Thanks for uh, considering that. But what the Lord said to Abram was absolutely significant. It was agenda-setting. It was life-altering. And Abram's obedience, it influences his immediate future and ultimately the long-term future of all humanity, as we're going to see in a moment. His small little step of obedience had a huge impact on all of humanity. And Abraham's obedience places him at the heart of God's plan to reverse all that had gone wrong since Adam and Eve disobeyed God. This is a turning point in the book of Genesis. And this call on Abraham's life also mirrors the call of Jesus to each follower of Christ. In Luke 9, verse 23 to 25, Jesus says, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? You see, God's call to Abraham came with the promise of blessings. But Abraham still had to exercise tremendous faith. He had to confidently believe that God will give him both descendants and land. He was prepared to take God at his word. But look at what God promised him. Let's just run through some of these promises that we find then in, in, uh, in verses 2, 3, and 4. It says, I will show you land. Now, land would, of course, be an essential uh, ingredient in becoming a great nation. And God begins his list of promises with, I will show you a land, and then ends it, as we're going to see in a moment, that I will give this land to your descendants. 
And so what starts out as a promise of a land yet to be seen becomes, in God's gracious fulfillment, a land not only to be seen, but ultimately also to be possessed. Donald Gray Barnhouse wrote on this theme of God promising something and then providing. And he says this, It makes no difference where it is or what its geology or geography is. If the Lord leads us there, it is the land for us. If the Lord does not lead us, it can never be the right land, even though it is paved with diamonds. One of Tina's former pastors always said, there's no better place to serve God than the place that he sets you down. You know, sometimes I think we, we do find ourselves longing for the promised land. We want maybe something else. But could it be that, in a sense, you've kind of already arrived And God has a plan and a purpose for you right where you are? Maybe right in the job that he's already called you to? God shows you what he has in store for you. Second promise he says is, he says, I'll make you into a great nation. So God here is inviting Abraham to be a source of blessing, in fact, for the rest of humanity. He basically says, take the first step to go, Abraham, and I'm going to show you what I'm capable of. And this really is a completely irrational promise when you stop and think about it. As Martin Luther said about this promise, he says, you should consider that what the Lord promises Abraham here is altogether impossible, unbelievable, and untrue if you follow reason, because it cannot be seen. Now, why does he say that? Think about this for a moment. If this is what God had in mind, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Why would he not have left him in the land where he was already known? Where he was already well established? I mean, he wasn't young. He was 75 years old at this time. His wife was 65. And we know from from earlier uh, writings, just in chapter 11, that she was actually barren at the time. And in Genesis 17, when God reiterates this promise that I'm going to make you into the great nation, and that's when he changes their names. But it still hasn't come to fulfillment. And this promise to, to, to Abraham at the time must have sounded completely and totally unbelievable. Because how would God ever fulfill this promise? How, how would a great and large number of people come from a marriage that was childless at the time? And for Abraham, the fact that God promised, that was enough. And so by faith, Abraham would believe, as we're going to see in a moment. The third promise, he says, just, I will bless you. I will bless you. You know, God promises then to bless Abraham personally. A person is blessed when, really because of the gracious working of God, things go well for him and what he does prospers. And this is what happened with Abraham. God prospered his business. As early as the next chapter, in chapter 13 and verse 2, we read, Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and in gold. And God chooses to bless Abraham, not because of anything that Abraham did, but simply as an act of grace. I will bless you. 
Fourthly, he says, I will make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. Some translations say, um, I will make your name great. I mean, think about it. <laughs> Here we are almost 4,000 years later, and we're, we're still talking about Abraham. And how he responded to God. But of all the things Abraham would be known for, it really was his faith in God. And, and ultimately, through Abraham's lineage, his greatest descendant was Jesus Christ himself. And that would be a blessing that would come to everyone who would ultimately call on the name of Jesus. Who would have thought so many generations earlier that that is what God would have in store? The fifth blessing is I will bless those who bless you and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. And so this is really an extension of the blessing to others that we just talked about, but it's the blessing of salvation through Jesus. And the New Testament, the Apostle Paul sees in this promise a blessing, um, or sees in this uh, promise an an advance announcement of the gospel. And Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, he says, What's more, the scriptures looked forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. Isn't that incredible? Do you see the connection now, at least in this, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, in the fulfillment of Jesus becoming the, the actual embodiment of this promise? Later in Genesis 22 and verse 18, we read again, God speaking to Abraham, Through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And Peter then too, he also connects Jesus Christ with the fulfillment of God's promise to bless. When in Acts chapter 3 and verse 23 and 26, he writes this, You are the children of those prophets, and you are included in the covenant God promised to your ancestors. For God said to Abraham, again he will quote verse 3, Through your descendants, all the families on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, Jesus, he sent him first to you people of Israel to bless you by turning each of you back from your sinful ways. The blessing of repentance and faith in Jesus. Promised to Abraham 2,000 years previous to the life of Christ. Fulfilled in Jesus. The last promise, I will give this land to your descendants. You have to look to verse 7 for this promise. But now again, remember that at the time that these promises were being given to Abraham, he had neither land nor any offspring. In fact, even after many years, when he had at last gained a son through God's special work of grace in their lives, he still had no land, and he eventually actually died without knowing any of the land that he, or or owning any of the land, excuse me, that he and Sarah, let me rephrase that. So, even after all the years, When he had at least gained a son through God's special work of grace, he still had no land, and he eventually died without owning any but the land that he and Sarai were buried in. And yet God had promised land to Abraham's offspring, 
And then the Israelites eventually received the promised land. Now I should say that these specific promises given to Abraham don't necessarily belong to us. Although there are some obvious parallels in, in God's promises even to the church. But although the specifics may vary, the principles themselves don't. And one of the greatest principles is that God attaches promises to his call to faith and discipleship. So whenever God calls, he puts on a promise. He attaches a promise. So for example, in Matthew 11, when he says, come to me, what's the promise? I will give you rest. Or in Matthew 28, when he's sending out his disciples with the Great Commission, and he says, go, go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I will be with you to the very end of the very, end of the very age. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So it doesn't matter where our journeys go. God promises to always be with us. Or, or as, as, as John writes, if we confess our sins, he what? He will be faithful and will forgive our sins. Those are the promises that we can embrace and hold on to when we, ex- when we journey through the Christian life. Now, this obviously, as I said earlier about how Abraham always reminds me of some significant life events in our lives. And when I think of God's call on my own life, I can think of a few significant, totally life-altering moments. Some of you know bits and pieces of the story. Some of you know nothing about my life. But let me just share a couple of key points. I was born and raised here in Edmonton. So this is my hometown. I gave my life to Christ when I was 13 years old at a Billy Graham uh, mission at Northlands Coliseum. Remember it so well. I graduated from Bonnie Doon High School which has now been renamed Vimy Ridge Academy, and I know that we even have students uh, that attend TCC that are students there. I, upon graduation from high school, I went to the University of Alberta. I graduated with a Bachelor of Science, but it was really during my last semester of university that God really got a hold of my heart. And I believe, really, that, that there was a, there's a whole much, bunch more to that. I'm just hitting the, the high points. But, but he was calling me into full-time ministry. And so I attended what is now Taylor Seminary on 23rd Ave. And when I finished seminary, God opened doors for me to serve at Hawkwood Baptist Church in Calgary. It was January 1992. So you can do the math. Uh, 25 years ago, I was only 15. And, um, um, but when God called me to Calgary from Edmonton, this is all that I knew, um, it, you know, in some ways, it wasn't that hard. It wasn't, it was kind of exciting. Because even though I would be moving from Edmonton and I would leave friends and family, moving to Calgary from Edmonton, when you've grown up an Oilers fan and an Eskimos fan, it's like going into hostile enemy territory, right? But it wasn't that hard because it was still close enough that I could drive home and hang out with my friends and I could bring my laundry home for my mom to do and, and, and you know, she would iron my dress shirts. You don't, you don't think that's true? It's absolutely true. I wish it wasn't true. 
I didn't always do that. Sometimes I actually took my laundry to my sister who lived in Calgary, and, and she did it. But, oh, memories, you know? Um, but it wasn't that hard. But after five and a half years there, Tina and I were now married by this time. We sensed that God was calling us from this associate pastor role where I work primarily with youth to a senior pastor role. And one time during supper, I, I took a call from the senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Armprior, Ontario, which is a small town 30 minutes west of Ontario. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, it's because I believe Pastor Ken has told us about his stint there. And, and so just to make this clear, he was in the decade of the 70s in Armprior, and I was now in the decade of the 90s. And so um, you can do the math again. But uh, back then in 1997, we already had cordless phones. And so I went uh, uh, to the back. It was one of those ones. Remember the, the old phones with like a walkie-talkie antenna that you'd like pull out and be like three feet long? Anyways, that was my cordless phone at the time. I remember it well. And so I take this call and I go to the back room and sit down on this couch that we, that we had there. And I remember this like as if it was yesterday. That's why I'm telling you the story. Maybe I thought of it yesterday. But I... Um, I remember Tina grabbing an atlas and coming down and sitting right down beside me and opening to a map of Canada. And I think we have this here. And I don't know if this is what this is going to look like. Um, I need one of those red pins or uh, pointer things, right? And, um, and she found Armprior, which was just outside of Ottawa. Can you see it down right down here in the corner? It's like in bold letters in the red. Do you see it? And if you just come down like a little bit to the south, West of there is Cleveland, Ohio. And that was Tina's family. And we're living in Calgary. And she compares the distance and traces a line. And she just gives me the thumbs up, closes the book, and walks out the room. But, you know, as this process of trying to discern if, in fact, God was calling us there, um, as this kind of unfolded, There were so many uncertainties around the situation that we just absolutely weren't sure if we could say, yes, actually, we will go. And the biggest uncertainty was whether or not, in fact, the senior pastor at the time, the one who had called me and told me about this, would actually still be there by the time we arrived. And it turned out that three weeks after I visited that church, he visited another church, And my very first day on the job was his very last day on the job. And we just kind of were like two ships passing in the night. And I found myself in a place all this time. I didn't know what was going to happen. But that kind of foreshadows what our answer was. We did eventually say yes to that call. But I distinctly remember just wrestling with and just being just so torn by this decision and you know, what if we go and, and he stays and I don't know if I'm, what my role is really going to be or, or what if he goes and I, I'm there by myself, what that's going to be like and, and, and all of these uncertainties. And I just remember so clearly God bringing back to mind this very passage of scripture and Abraham going, go and I will show. And it just resonated in my mind and it was just like, you know what? It doesn't matter what the job is. It doesn't matter what the job description is. It doesn't even matter what the community is like. The question is, is do we believe that God is calling us to go 
And if he is, then we must go. And I believe God can and does call not just pastors to churches, but people as well. And sometimes it's easy because it's a church that's maybe right in your community and it just makes sense. And that's true for many of you today. You've come to TCC, you've been seeking to find a community that you can belong to, a, a place where you can worship and learn about God, a place to serve and, and, and to, be, to be connected to. And in many respects, it's, it, it, it now becomes your new home and it, it has its unique culture and it's, and it's your family and you're, you're comfortable here. But maybe as you've heard about this church plant called Southwest Community Church, a church that we believe God is calling us to step out in faith, and so we're going to be obedient to that calling, to plant in the community south of the Hende. And as we've talked about it, you've already heard maybe in your heart and in your mind, you should go. But you're comfortable here. Your friends are here. You may even have family here. Maybe you were actually involved in the, in the actual building of this facility, and so you kind of have a unique experience. It's, it's kind of nostalgic. And you love this place, and we love you. But if God is calling, then you should go. And for some of you, it's going to be a huge step of faith, because maybe you've never been involved in a church plant before. And that is what we see in Abraham's life. Because in verse 4 we read, So Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed. He got up and went. He obeyed. And the remaining verses in our passage just uh, outline how Abraham and Sarah were pilgrims in the land. He didn't have a map. He just went to the next place that God led him to. Some of your Bibles might have a map. I have a map now. I'm not sure how much I'll spend on this. But there you can kind of see his journey starting in the bottom right here in Ur, just about 100 kilometers inland from the Persian uh, Gulf now. Up the Euphrates River north and northwest to Haran, and they settled there. And it was there again that God told Abraham, go and I'm going to show you. And so he started heading south. And so some of the names of the, of the places that, that, uh, that Aubrey read for us are there. Shechem is there. And there was a time where they, they ended up going all the way into Egypt. You read about this in chapter 13 and then coming back again. So friends, these are real people in real places. Just all we are, are is removed in time and space from these places and these people and these events. But I, I, I think this picture is just good for us to know is that if God leads us, we should follow. And the Christian faith is really simply that. It is a journey of faith. And like Abraham and Sarah, we are all pilgrims. And so let me just close by by giving you a few steps to think about in this journey of of faith. And I'm going to outline this this way. First steps, next steps, and growth steps. So first steps... Maybe this morning you, you hear God again calling you into relationship with him. You've been here previous Sundays and, and, and you've heard about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And every time you hear that, you're, you're a little bit more alert and your heart beats a little bit faster. And you just have this sense in your own heart that, you know, he's calling me. 
but it might leave me all that you're familiar with. There might be a big call on that. It might change some things in your life, and you're afraid of that. And so it holds you back. It keeps you from making this decision to trust Christ. But I want you to know that God's call today on your life might be simply to begin this new life as a disciple of his, as a follower of Jesus Christ. And you don't have to have it all figured out about where this is going to go and what this is going to mean. But that you enter into this relationship with the trust that God will show you one step at a time what's next. I want to just say that I think the life of Abram should be a message of hope for those of you who find yourself not in a relationship with God. Because Abraham was under the influence of his pagan environment. His family likely were idol worshippers. Yet God called him and saved him and his family. Not because of anything that Abram did, but simply because of God's grace. And you can learn from Abram today. And so maybe today God is calling you to drop everything and anything that is holding you back. And to respond as he speaks, as he calls So then what's the next step? So now you're following Jesus. What's next? Well, I believe that the next step after coming to Christ is that you would be baptized. Baptism is an important step for all of those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And baptism is simply an outward expression now of this personal faith journey with Jesus. It was modeled by Jesus himself, and it was the practice of all who came to faith in Jesus. In fact, in the New Testament, it happens immediately after taking the first step of coming to Christ in faith. And we have a baptism coming up on March 19th. You can be baptized either during the morning service or after the the prayer summit in the evening. But you need to let us know now, and you need to take that step if that isn't something that you haven't already done. Thirdly, let me encourage you in some growth steps. I mean, there are so many steps that really take place after coming to faith in Christ. And, you know, they're they're not sequential. They're not linear. But I think that there are a number of things that you can practically do to help you now grow in this relationship with Jesus. And the first and most important, I think, after I just said that they're not... Anyways, um, maybe you just completely messed that and you would have missed that if I hadn't brought attention to it. But... um, Like Abraham, you've become a worshiper of God. And if we read those verses there, Abraham built an altar at the place where he encountered God. They didn't have a a sanctuary. They didn't have a a place that they would would meet. But when God met them there, he he built this altar. And it was a, a, a reminder of his worship and the fact that he encountered God there. And today we encounter God in, in all of the places and, and, and journeys of life. But I do believe that there's something so unique that when we gather like this and we participate and the songs that we sing, they, they put our words to praise and they fuel our worship and we together give glory to God. That's a huge thing. Don't ever underestimate the importance of that. Or we find a place to serve and God uses the spiritual gifts that he's given us. As, as one writer put it, each of us has been uniquely shaped to serve God. You are God's workmanship. He created you for a purpose. And so he gives you spiritual gifts. That's the S. He gives you a heart for something where you have, you're kind of hardwired with certain passions. And you have, an, you have certain abilities or things that you're good at. There's a personality that, that just fits with who you are and what you do. 
and you bring your past experiences to bear and you just serve. And so many of you are in one way or another serving God and it's great. But if you're not, let us help you find that place. You you can never underestimate the importance of Bible reading and study. Because how, in fact, are you going to discover what God wants you to do? How are you going to discover the very areas that God wants you to be obedient in or to take the steps of faith in? But by reading the Bible, finding a a daily uh, regime of reading that works for you and study. And prayer, of course. And, And all of these things are best in community. And so you join a small group or maybe you get in a triad that just three people together that encourage one another in their walk with God. But these are just some of the most basic growth steps that we can do. Do you remember the old children's Christmas song? I always think about this. I don't know why, and you're probably tired of me, but remember it was this old Christmas, uh, Christmas, Christian Sunday school song that read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow. show of hands. You're just going to age yourself. Oh, look at, see, there's a few on my team. Um, but, but you know, it's so true. That is how we grow. We don't need to reinvent that. Let me just say this. When you take little steps to follow God in obedience, big things happen. You don't always know what those things are going to be, but you can trust God to deliver on the promises that he makes. And the story of Abraham shows how one man heard the call of God and he was willing to abandon everything for the sake of the blessings God sent before him. And are we willing to do the same, even when all the odds might be stacked against us? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the life of Abraham. And we just looked at this one little account, and we know that there's so much more material in the scriptures that really help us understand who he was. But I think of how often the scriptures talk about Abraham being a friend of God. And he had this personal relationship. And it was vital and it was dynamic. And your grace was at work in his life. Your spirit was in at working on his life as well. And when we just think of how his step of faith really changed the entire course of humanity. That when everything had gone so wrong with Adam and Eve, your plan of redemption and restoration really started with Abraham and ultimately ended in the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for those this morning that are just kind of wondering where they're at. I pray for those that might be at their first step, for those that are considering next steps, and for many who might be considering growth steps. Father, I pray that we would just submit ourselves to you and we would ask you to show us the way. In Jesus' name we pray.